Would you please turn with me to Ephesians? And we are now in the fifth chapter. Can you believe we're just flying by this book? We are in the fifth chapter, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 7, and, and, and Paul is going to get more practical with us today again. He's going to talk about this walk that we have with, with our Lord. As a matter of fact, if you'll note here, in, in verse 2, it, it tells us we are to walk in love. Also, if you look ahead in verse 8, it tells us that we are to walk in light. And in verse 15, it tells us we are to be wise. We are to walk in wisdom. This particular book has been a, an amazing event in my life. I pray and I hope with all of my heart it has been to you as well. We started off by looking at who we are in Christ, but more importantly, as I've said over and over again, this book, I believe, is trying to get you and me to look at who is God in our lives. And so we saw how secure we are because of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This, this one that we celebrate this Christmas season, this baby that was born in a manger, grew up to be a man who sacrificed himself for every single one of us. And Paul will mention that today in the the fifth chapter here in the book of Ephesians. And so we're secure because of what Jesus Christ, that baby born in a manger, did for us when He went to the cross. Upon that, Paul says, because of that, we were sadly, in chapter 2, dead, absolutely, utterly dead in our trespasses and in our sins. But, but Paul wrote, because of our, our, our Lord's great love for you and me, His great mercy shed upon us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he, he wrote in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, that God made us alive together with His Son, Jesus Christ. He says, by grace, you and I have been saved. God's grace, His unmerited favor poured out upon our lives. And so then Paul proceeds to tell us how to walk. We were told in chapter 4 that we were to walk in a manner that was worthy of our Lord. We need to understand what that means. And so now Paul is going to build upon this walking in, in a manner that is worthy. And he is to tell us today that we are to walk in love. None of these walks that that Paul is presenting to us is possible without our relationship with Jesus Christ to be secure and firm. And so he begins by saying in chapter 5, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints and there must be no filthiness and silly talk and coarse jesting which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks for this you know with certainty 
that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Paul ends this particular place that we're going to study today by saying in verse 7, Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Very gentle, very firm, very almost casual statement. Therefore, don't be partakers with this, this lifestyle. And so as you can see from that statement, Paul is making a a very firm plea to you and me on how we are to walk. That we are to be imitators of God as beloved children of His. We are to walk in love. I propose to you this morning that there is no way that you and I can comprehend what this walk in love looks like unless we understand the Scriptures that we read. We must become convinced that we understand what God is and what He means about walking in love. What does that even mean? And so we are going to try with all of our hearts to understand The second part of all of this is none of this can be done. None of it can be done just because you listen to a message or two or three or four or hundreds. All of this takes place once you and I become convinced in our own spirit, within our own soul, that we want to be a person who walks with God. And your husband can't help you to do it and you're And your wife can't help you to do it. And the children, you can't make them do it. It is a choice. Utterly a choice. We learned that when we took a look at the book of Joshua. When when Joshua said to the people, he said, Look, why don't you choose, choose for yourselves today? Whom will you serve? It's a choice you must make. And then he made that wonderful, wonderful statement, did he not? But for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It's a choice. And here we are walking into this time of the year, Christmas. It's, it can't be more joyous, really. It can't be a greater time. We're living in the most wonderful of times. This, the world around us seems to be collapsing as, as you see it. But I'm sure, well, I don't know, but... It seems like everything will work itself out. It seems to always do. But who knows? But what a time to live in. What a time to be able to reach people, as we're going to learn today, with this sweet aroma of God. Christmas. The sweetest of times. The most pleasant of aromas. Studying and I have the privilege of on my computer. To, I, I, anybody, I guess, has a computer has the right has, can do this. It's a, I, I, for me. Someone taught me about a thing called Pan, Pandora, Pan something. It's close. Is that close? And it plays music, but not just music. You can you can type in whatever era you want, whatever kind. So I was typed in. I wanted some Christmas music and listened to the music of kind of back in the days a little bit. 
And I start reflecting upon my mom and my dad and just growing up. And the aroma, the aroma of the love that, 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 that comes into a family and just fills the place. I ask you and me to consider this season to be a fragrant aroma unto the Lord, to choose to walk in love, to choose to be a person who desires to know what God has and desires of you. I wish every single one of you could have been to the Rock of Ages evening last uh, Friday. Tony sang his heart out. Oh, my, can you sing? And the young people were just so involved. It was great. It was a great evening. Come if you can next year. Enjoy the introduction into this Christmas season with the people of our church. It's really fun. Now, I read the scriptures, but I didn't pray yet. So, Father, please forgive me for not coming to you immediately and asking your guidance over what we are about to study. Lord God, it is uh, really apparent to me in such a real way that uh, each of us must choose We must choose, Father, how we are going to live this wonderful life that you've given to us and how we'll walk with you. If we will really truly imitate you as beloved children and walk in love. And so, Lord, uh, I pray that you would open up our eyes, our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Oh, Father God, move me aside, I beg of you. Let us see the very wonders of this time of this season, Christmas, and, and how this message reflects upon this practicality of how we walk with you. So teach us, please, Father. Bless every family that's a part of this church and others as well. Bless us all, we pray, Father, in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Chapter 5 begins with a word that you cannot go over. You must look at it clearly. It is what? Therefore. Therefore leads us back to what has just been taught. We've been, we've been taught about walking, if you remember, It says in in verse 17 of chapter 4, as we go back, it says, I affirm, Paul says, I affirm together with the Lord. In other words, he's as serious as he could be about what he wants to teach us. He is affirming what he is about to say with the Lord. He says, I don't want you to walk anymore like the Gentiles do. In other words, uh, not not Gentiles, but, but it's talking about those who have no faith in God. That's what it means when they say Gentile in this case. I don't want you to walk anymore like someone who has no faith in God. And then he tells us as you move along in chapter 4, don't, verse 30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. 
But rather, he says, and I believe that therefore leads us right back to verse 32 of chapter 4. And that is that we are to be forgivers. Kind, tender-hearted with one another, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has also forgiven us. And so verse 1 of chapter 5 starts with therefore, leading us back to reminding us what Paul just said. And now he says, therefore, I want you to be an imitator of God. Just as his beloved children. You see, it appears that forgiveness is the supreme evidence of God's love within one another. And our model is none other than Jesus Christ himself. As he says in verse 2, Jesus Christ gave of his life as an offering and a sacrifice. Paul calls it a fragrant aroma to God. We are to imitate God's love. It's one thing to say these words. It's another to understand what is the depth of that statement. What does it mean to walk in love? What does it mean to imitate our God? You know, everything that you and I know about love has been given to us by God. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 16, either 18 or 19. Let me look. I'll walk over and pretend. Oh, it's verse 19. When you use font size 20, you can see it from across the room almost. <laughs> but it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, that it says that God is what? God is love. It goes on to say, John writes in 1 John chapter 4, verses 16, and then jumps to verse 19 by saying, We love because... Do you know anything about what I'm about to say? Do you know anything about that chapter, that verse? We love because He, what, first loved us. Everything that you and I will comprehend about love within our families, within our lives, within the structure of how we live, is because our God first loved us. So we understand what true love is. Let's face it, everything that you and I will ever know about true, true love is founded in our knowledge of God. It behooves you and me to understand who He is what it really means to walk in love, what it means to imitate God as beloved children of His. Our growing in love is a continuing need for every single one of us. And I'll tell you why. In fact, I'll show you why. Paul writes of it in Romans. Hold your place here. Turn to Romans. Romans chapter 13. It's to the left. You can't miss it, really. It's, you'll go past 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and you'll hit Romans. Romans chapter 13. Love and continuing to grow in it is critical in our lives because love fulfills the very law of God. If you and I understand true love, we will understand the very fulfillment of the law of God. Watch. Paul writes in Romans chapter 13 and verse 8. Look what he says. He says, Oh, nothing to anyone except to love one another. He says the person who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Whoa! 
A person who has loved his neighbor has fulfilled the very law of God. Because he says in the next verse, verse, verse 9, for this, talking about love, this fulfillment of love, you'll not commit adultery, nor will you commit murder. You won't steal, you won't covet. If you really truly understand what this love is that Bible is talking about, this love that, that God wants to pour out in your life and my life, we won't commit adultery. We won't murder or steal or covet. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> goes on to say in verse 9, if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, love your neighbor just as you do your own self. It says in verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is, folks, the fulfillment of God's law. It's the fulfillment of it. Love is the fulfillment of God's law. Back to Ephesians chapter 5. The word imitator, therefore, in the Greek is M-I-M-E-T-E-S. It means to mimic, to copy, taking another's characteristics and copying them as an imitator of god you and i are to imitate his characteristics now how do you do that unless you know what he does you have to study to understand what what it means when he says to love it's he's not this mamby pamby kind of person i mean he was strong in his beliefs he 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 held a, a very straight line, Jesus Christ did. When the rich young ruler came to him and said, what must, I, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he told him what to do. And he says, I've done all these things. Then he said, okay, take everything you have, give it to the poor, come. What? Follow me. Why don't you follow me? To which the rich young ruler, the Bible tells us, kind of walked away. It was too much for him. And so Jesus ran after him, we are told, and he, he grabbed him and said, Oh, I, I, don't, I, 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 wasn't, I didn't mean all of that. Come on, come on. You don't have to give everything away. Oh, no, of course that's foolishness. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus didn't even, didn't even make a step towards him when he left. He cut a very straight line. He held the the path of who he is and who we are to be very, very firmly, very straight and, and narrow. And so to imitate that type of love, to understand the characteristics of God, is a major deal in our lives. We must know what God is like. We must study his word. And in and, and this church, really, I'm not saying this on my behalf. I'm just saying this on behalf of the, the, the representation of the people in this church, you ought to thank God for it every time. There are people here who love, absolutely love the Word of God and, 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 and consider it better than food itself and want you and me to understand it so that we might know what we believe and know what it is to really have the joy 
the joy of Christ permeating our being. The only way that you and I can imitate God is to allow His life to be in us. That's what Paul is teaching us, to walk in this newness of life. And it begins with your desire. Can't make you do it. It was really interesting last night. Somebody told me here at the church, I won't mention who, wish they said I could make the people, make them do it. And I said, me too. I know, I want to, but we can't, can we? We can't. We can only plead. We can only hopefully represent, but we can't make. Choose, choose for yourselves whom you'll serve. It's all we can offer you. Nobody can make you. Nobody can stop you either. And so it comes to a study of the Word of God and the will of God, our own will, wanting to follow after Him. I want to show you something that's, that's, that's amazing. And we've got 15 more minutes in, in, our, in the message. So we have the time to, to take a look at Luke. Please, would you look at me? It's, a, it's, a, it's such a tender story. Last night... It's in Luke chapter 7. And, and you know, I, I studied it all week and I had no really deep, deep relationship with this story until last night. Last night, I don't think this is going to happen today, but I could hardly get through the story without just weeping. I wept and wept and wept as I read this story. It's such a tender story to me. But it's a penetrating story. And, and maybe, as I confessed last night, Luke chapter 7, as I confessed last night, I, I see myself on both ends of the spectrum. What, is, what we're going to read is that somebody, a, one of the, a guy named Simon, asks Jesus Christ to come to his house for a bite to eat. And in there is a, a, a wide variety of people that, that are there. We're not told why, we're not told how they're invited or anything of that fashion. We just know that Jesus Christ accepts this invitation in verse 36 of chapter 7 of Luke one of the Pharisees requested Jesus Christ to dine with him and so Jesus Christ comes and and normally when someone came to your home a guest you would have a basin of water there for them if nothing else you would have a basin of water there for them to wash their feet because they 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 wore sandals and they they walked on dusty roads and their feet were often very very dirty and so you would have a basin there to wash their feet that was a very kind thing to do so jesus christ comes to this guy let's read it he comes to this house and he entered the pharisee's home and he reclined at the, reclined at the table behold there was a woman in the house woman in the city who was a sinner and when she leaned, learned that that jesus was reclining at the table At the Pharisee's home, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. Standing behind him, we are told, standing behind him at his feet, she was weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. She kept wiping them with the hair of her head, kissing his feet, anointing them with perfume. Now, it said when the Pharisees, Pharisee who had invited Jesus Christ to his house to dine, saw this, 
He said to himself, not out loud, he just said to himself, if, if Jesus knew if he was really a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Oh, really? I pray to all my heart that you and I never forget who we are. I pray with all of my heart that you and I never forget that we are at best sinners saved by the grace of an almighty God. One of the things I love mostly about, I won't forget where I am. Let me make sure I remember where I am. Yep, right there. One of the things I love mostly about J. Vernon McGee, I got to meet him. Um, he spoke for me a couple times at a baseball chapel and at our church. I didn't get to hear him at our church. I had to be in spring training with the guys. And what a what a loss that was for me. I, I would have loved to have seen him. What I love about him, something the most, is that he wrote in one of his commentators, he said the older he got, the more he realized he was a sinner. The more he realized he was... Never the pastor he wanted to be. He was never the husband he wanted to be. He fell short so often. It's a healthy place to be, folks. It's a dreadful thing to think that there are some people, and I've met some, not a lot. I've met some. said, you know, since I've been a believer, I don't think I've ever sinned. Let me think. Holy cow. just drives me insane to hear that drives me so insane about that is it it's evidence that they really aren't studying the word of god because the more you see the word of god the more you realize how desperately we need a savior so this guy is saying about this woman in verse 39 if he knew if he only knew what kind of a woman this is she's a sinner well jesus christ could read his mind you know yours and mine too by the way and he answered and said to him simon I've got something to say to you. And Simon said, okay, what is it, teach? Say it, teacher. Jesus says, there's a certain money lender who had two debtors, one who owed him 500 denarii and the other who owed him 50. They were unable to repay, and so he graciously forgave them both. Which of them do you think he's going to love the most? Uh, Simon answered and said, I I, I suppose the one he forgave the most. And Jesus said, yep, you've answered correctly. Then he turned, Jesus turned towards that woman and he said to Simon, you see this woman? I come into your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I've come in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. And you didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which true, Simon, you're right, There are many. I've forgiven her. She loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. 
was a great lesson Jesus Christ taught Simon and you and me. Peter said in 1 Peter, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Because, he says, love covers a multitude of what? Of sin. You see, love is the issue. This story between this woman and Simon is clear. The woman sensed her sin and her desperate need for a Savior and forgiveness. But this story also expresses Simon. Simon saw his need for her forgiveness, but very little about his own sin. This teaching of forgiveness is so large within the Word of God that Jesus Christ on the Beatitudes taught, if you are presenting an offering, this is Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, if you're offering at the altar and you remember there your brother has something against you, he says, leave your offering. Don't even give it to me. Go, first be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come, then come to me and present your offering. Love and forgiveness goes hand in hand, people. The love of Jesus Christ is unconditional and it is sacrificial. It is called, as we've already studied, agape, God's love. Unless you understand God's love, you'll really never understand true love. This kind of love is a love that gives more than it receives. It's... Uh, it's what John said in 1 John chapter 3. He said, uh, we know love by this. So this is how we know love. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. Therefore, we ought to lay down our lives for one another. God's love does not depend upon the one receiving it. It depends upon the one who gives it. And so in verse 2, back in Ephesians chapter 5, the words, the fragrant aroma, means that that, accept, that sacrifice was acceptable to God. It was a fragrant aroma. Paul explains in Philippians 4, I received everything in full. These people sent stuff to him. And he says, what you have sent is a fragrant aroma. It's an acceptable sacrifice. It is well-pleasing, Paul wrote to God. A fragrant aroma is an aroma that fills the air. It spreads its fragrance upon everyone and anyone who is near this Christmas season, you and I have a chance to fill our homes and our families and our places that we go with this fragrant aroma of God that some people, they won't see. They probably won't even go to church. But you and I can take the very essence of church, that is the essence of our Lord and Savior, the essence of who is the very foundation of the church out into the community. And we can be a fragrant aroma that is well-pleasing to God, to everyone we come to. In fact, Paul writes, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, listen, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us and manifests through us and manifests through us a sweet aroma of the knowledge of God in every place. 
That's what we're called to do. That's what can make this Christmas so special in this community in which you and I live. We can manifest to the people we come in contact with a sweet aroma of the knowledge of God in every place that we go. Paul goes on to write there in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we are a fragrance of Christ to God, to those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. And he writes these very penetrating words, to those who are being saved, no, excuse me, to the one, in other words, those who are perishing, we are an aroma from death to death. And to the other, those who are being saved, we are an aroma of life to life. That's our representation as people. That's the imitation that we are to be of God. Beloved children of His. We are to walk in this kind of love. That's love. Taking the very aroma of God out into the community in which we live. It should permeate this place. And every place that you and I shed our feet. Is that the right way of saying it? Walk. Try to be eloquent. Really a bad idea. (laughs) The message is clear. We're to be the ambassador of Christ. We are to represent this kind of love. Therefore, in the remaining couple moments, listen, verses 3 through 7. We're not to let sin be a part of our lives. If we're going to walk this type of walk, we're not to be that type of a person. There should be, as it says in verse Three, let me go back. I'm sorry, I'm still in Luke. In verse 3, we're not to be immoral people. We're not to be with impurity or greed. Verse 4, no filthiness, no silly talk, no coarse jesting, but only those things which gives thanks to God. Anything else, Paul writes, it's not fitting. It's just not fitting. These types of character traits are destructive. They're not fitting within our lives. Immorality refers to sexual sin. It's a sin outside the bonds of marriage. For the life of me, I can't understand how anyone would do that. For the life of me, I can't understand how anyone would do that. For the life of me, I can't understand how anybody would do that. For the life of me, I can't understand how anyone would do that. Impurity refers to all that is unclean and filthy. It's associated with all other sexual sins. Greed has to do with taking. It's it's the opposite of love. Love which is giving. You see, greed takes. Love gives. So Paul says these sins are so doggone terrible they ought not to be even named among us, it says in verse 3. Filthiness has to do with talk that is degrading. Silly talk has to do with words that are stupid and foolish. I think they fit right in with coarse jesting, which is uh, turning an innocent idea into something that is obscene and suggestive. You hear that all the time if you watch any TV. People always taking things to the very base of sin. You see, acting like that is... The consequences are great. Look at verses 5, 6, and 7. Paul begins by saying, I want you to know something. I want you to know something for certain. With certainty, he says, there are no immoral or impure people or covetous people, 
who is an idolater that it will have inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. You see, the sins of 3, 4, and 5 lead to the punishment. There's no inheritance. So he says in verse 6, Don't be deceived. Because of these things, the wrath of God is going to come upon the sons of disobedience. Listen, no person who lives a way of life or a lifestyle that practices these types of things, that's, that's the key part, who practices that type of lifestyle without any repentance shall be a part of the kingdom of God. You know, it just goes against everything that Paul is teaching us. When he says in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, we, we're new creatures now because we've come to Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things are starting to come into our lives because we're to be imitators of God, beloved children of His who walk in love. Therefore, these things, immorality, impurity, greed, filthiness, silly talk, coarse, jesting, shouldn't be a part of our lives anymore. John said as much. He said, no one who is born of God practices. That's the key word, practices. It's, it's not that you and I aren't going to slip and do something off color or something maybe every once in a while in our life no 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 none of us are perfect but it's talking about the person who practices this type of a lifestyle they will not inherit the kingdom of christ and god you see as believers you and i have been asked to live differently how's this for a christmas message we can't avoid what's being said here, though. We can't duck and hide. Verse 6 says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived with empty words. In other words, don't, don't listen to those people who just tell you whatever they want to tell you because of these things, these, these things that he's just mentioned in verses 3, 4, and 5. The wrath of God is going to come upon the sons of disobedience. Now, who are the sons of disobedience? Well, we've studied it. It goes back to Ephesians 2. It's those who are dead, dead in their trespasses and sins. It's those who are walking according to the, the prince of the power of the air, Satan. They are, it says in verse 3, the sons of disobedience. Paul simply warns us in verse 7, don't partake with that. Remember we talked a couple weeks ago that if, if your right eye is making you sin, do what? Pluck it out. If your right hand is causing you sin, throw it away from you. You've got to separate yourself from that type of lifestyle. Don't be partakers with it. Rather, be imitators of God. Beloved children of His, who by the grace of God, you and I walk in love. Now, that's what Christmas is really all about. So it is a Christmas message, by golly. Walk in love. Choose to walk in love. Choose to imitate God. To imitate Him means you've got to get to know Him. Be a beloved child of His. Walk like Him. Father, we want to learn to walk like You. Thank You for who You are. We, we celebrate, Father, the birth of Your Son. We rejoice with Christmas. And we ask, Father, that you will teach us so much over these, these next weeks as we kind of move into this time of the year and, and 
and center our hearts and our thoughts upon the very birth of the, the very Savior of this world, Jesus Christ, God Almighty. May we be thankful, Father God, that you've given us the ability to understand who he is and know him. And, and you've asked us to be imitators of you and walk in this kind of love. Father, I say from the very depth of my soul, I love these people. I love this church. I love everything about it. I, I love the young people of our church. I love Beth and Rob Selleck. And I love Jenny Johnson. I love her so much. Thank you that they teach our young people to really be committed to you. May we as older people get it as, as much as they seem to have got it. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness. Make this Christmas be very special to every single one of us. I pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.